Hello, and welcome to the Development Debrief with Catherine Van Zippel, the stories-based podcast that interviews professionals, donors, and thought leaders in the field of fundraising. It's time to unlock all of your fundraising program's potential through data, technology, and collaborative innovation. There's nothing we love more than collaborating with our client partners to discover, implement, or build something new. As a top data science firm in the industry, BWF offers fully customized constituency analysis, customized modeling, source analysis, training, and counsel. At BWF, we build custom solutions using the demos, actions, and connections in your database. If you're looking to pinpoint the actually, contact us at bwf.com to discover the new possibilities for your program. Dr. Ashutosh Nandeshwar is the Assistant Vice President, Relationship Management and Data Sciences at the University of Southern California. But that is not all he is. He is a data scientist, consultant, speaker, and process innovation leader. He is an ideal interviewee for this exciting season on innovation and impact. We talk about Ashu's recommendations for portfolio management as expectations have changed since the pandemic. We discuss the pros and cons of activity comparison against gift officers, as well as how Ashu thinks AI can advance our industry. This is a wonderful conversation about data from the research perspective. Author of Tableau Data Visualization Cookbook, Ashutosh Nandeshwar is one of the few analytics professionals in the higher education industry who have developed analytical solutions for all stages of the student life cycle, from recruitment to giving. He enjoys speaking and ranting about data professionals' chase of, quote, interesting things. He received a Ph.D. and Master's of Science from West Virginia University and a B.E.N.G. from Nangpur University, all in industrial engineering. Now let's get started. Hi, Ashu. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Catherine. Thank you for having me. Well, we're going to start our conversation talking about some of your experiences at USC. It sounds like you've been doing some really exciting work there in the world of AI and prospect research and prospect pipeline building. Right. Yeah, I've been at USC for slightly over six years now, and I was lucky when I got here the fundamentals that are required for good relationship management programs, good prospect development programs, or analytics programs that you need good data. And you also need uh, the practices so that people can actually enter quality data. So the fundraisers, the gift officers were all uh, already on board for entering their contact reports, proposals, and all that data. And then at the same time, the data quality itself was getting really good. And then we had Salesforce as our uh, CRM. So all those things were established before I came. So it was really good timing for me because at other places, when you're in such roles, you have to build that data quality first before mm-hmm. you can do anything with it. So I was really fortunate to have that. And I had the leadership buy-in and everything. So we were able to start our first data science team here as well as at the same time, improving the efficiency of existing processes, including prospect research, coming up with new ways of getting the data out of the system, new reporting mechanisms. Uh, We started using Tableau as our reporting tool. I know Tableau. Yeah, so it was very helpful. Fundraisers really liked it because it was very interactive and they could get the data at their fingertips rather Mm -hmm. than waiting for people. 
so they liked it. So we were able to do a lot of those things in this past six years. USC had the fundamental building blocks and you've been able to take it to the next level, which is pretty exciting. That's right. That's right. I mean, the other, other thing, good thing about USC is that we have such vast amounts of data on such a large constituency that it again enables you to do a lot of different things. And you have a large team, a team of 20, right? Yeah, 25 plus, something like that. Wow. How is the team constructed? Yeah, majority of our staffing is uh, towards prospect research and prospect management. So they do all the briefings, profiles, wealth screenings, um, and then managing that information in the system in Salesforce, portfolios, assignments. So are you centralized like that your team is supporting all of the schools within USC? Yes, that's right. So we have, I think, over 400 fundraisers across Mm -hmm. our 400 in total staff and about 150 fundraisers across the campus. And yeah, we support everybody. Then outside of prospect research and prospect management, we also have a grateful patient program. So we do the screenings, do the bio generation on them and then send out notifications to fundraisers. And then the other side, on the technical side, I have the data science reporting team, as well as the Salesforce administration team. So the data science arm of this, that's new since you arrived? Yes, six years, yes. How did that come about? Was that your vision? Yeah, so I was hired uh, because my title uh, was the data sciences, AVP for data sciences. So that was the charge to build that program, to bring in this kind of new vision and a new way of looking at things and coming up with predictive models, uh, helping with that. So that uh, with that, I had a couple of positions open, so I was able to hire for those. So we hired really qualified data scientists for those roles and they have been amazing. So we were initially, we started with where typically programs start is building the scoring models or trying to predict who's likely to give so that we can help fundraisers with their portfolios, effectively staff their portfolios. So that was our one of our first projects. And then we moved on, on to doing different things. So for example, our plan giving office had a project, couple of projects where they had to send out mailings or call certain people. So we were able to create very customized scores for them uh, as to who to call, who to send the mailings to. And then it, the program evolved from there and we kept uh, doing different things. The age-old question, are you working with fundraisers to beef up their portfolios or to trim them down? Yes. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Which is more important? Yeah, at some point of time, I mean, if you read David Lively and his work, he Yeah, I've read it. uh, Yeah, Yeah. smaller portfolio, it makes a lot of sense that you can manage relationships effectively if you have a, uh, a concentrated focus. Mm-hmm. So we, for, uh, I would say at least three years or so, we also recommended everybody to have a smaller portfolio so that cool. they can work uh, with that. But then with COVID, since people had to reach out to so many people, we said, okay, it's fine that even if your portfolio is ra- large, but I think the challenge we have at USC and I guess at other larger institutions face the same problem is you have so many prospects that you have to get through them and get through them quickly. So how do you do that? So the ways we have been doing it is some sort of qualification 
we in it, um, maybe last year or so we created these emails for scholarship prospects because scholarships was one of the big initiatives. So we looked at uh, previous giving of uh, scholarship donors and said, okay, here are some people who are likely to make a gift to scholarship. Uh, scholarships. So we created these emails and sent out to those gift officers, which they could send out to those people. So that was one way of qualifying people without actually putting them in someone's portfolio. Mm-hmm. So we tried to answer that question. Okay, how do we manage so many prospects? So it's still a problem, but I think it is, it's a staffing issue rather than a, kind of a data issue. So you've supported some discovery work then with specific initiatives. Yes, yes. What are other ways that you've improved metrics, you know, beyond scaling the portfolios and helping with discovery work? What are other wins that you've had? Yeah, a couple of things. I think, again, going back to Tableau, that was really useful for a lot of people because they could monitor our relationship management team built these really nice dashboards where people could monitor their portfolios. They could see uh, whether they're uh, making good progress, contacting everybody or getting gifts from their portfolio, uh, people from their portfolio, or whether they are lagging in terms of contacting more people. So it shows you, it gives you a really nice snapshot of your overall activity. And we did similar things with financial dashboards. So everybody can see their financial numbers up to date. And we use some combination of predictive scoring as well as uh, the wealth scores to show people where the opportunities lie if they want to add wow. more people to their portfolios or do more sort of qualification work. Then we also did uh, some activity scoring for fundraisers to see based on, again, going back to David Lively's work and other common metrics that we use across the industry, the number of proposals you have, number of uh, the dollar amounts of your funded proposals, your visit activity. And then we also looked at their portfolio distribution. Okay, what percentage of your portfolio has a strategy that you actually have thought about uh, those prospects? Same thing with what percentage of your portfolio has a fundraiser rating, meaning you again have assessed. You're not only relying on the wealth engine scores, but your wealth in, uh, screening scores, but you are thinking of your own assessments and putting that value in the system. So based upon these activities, we came up with a common score for everybody, every fundraiser. And then uh, there was a monthly report that I used to send out, which had these rankings. So you could see where you stood in terms of your activity in the system, as well as bringing in the proposals. And you could see where you stand in the unit. So you might be in College of Engineering and you also saw yourself where you stood in uh, in the whole organization. So that helped a couple of things because our data got better because you could see then people took their portfolios uh, more seriously. They thought about that. They entered strategies. They entered it's so public. Fund. Yes, yes. But I mean, you could not see the rankings of other fundraisers who were not part of your unit. So you would only okay. get your college or your school, but still it was pretty out there and people yeah. uh, you could imagine got uh, competitive about it. So they wanted to make sure that they looked good. And uh, at the same time, some people found it demoralizing because they said, I'm doing everything right, but I'm still not ranking higher because I'm just not getting big gifts. So we had to strike kind of a compromise and said, yeah, I see it, why it would be demoralizing. But my point of view was that, well, this is like your dashboard of your car. 
it's just showing you the speed of your car. It's not judging you whether you're driving slow or fast. It's just telling you for what it is. But yeah. I, I, I saw what the fundraisers were saying. So we stopped doing the rankings, but we still do the calculate the activity score and show where you stand uh, in, in a chart rather than the actual rankings. Now, are these dashboards part of the app you created called the Action Center? No. So okay. the Action Center, I mean, imagine, uh, I, I don't think I have seen anybody who wakes up in the morning and says, oh, I got another spreadsheet to look through. <laughs> I have these hundreds of uh, rows that I have to look through. So that was the whole idea behind the Action Center to not overwhelm people with information and show them a kind of timely information and just give slight nudges. For example, you would see based on your portfolio, based on your activity, based on where you were located, we have regional offices in New York and San Francisco. So based on your office, based on your portfolio, we made recommendations who would be a good prospect for you. So you saw on your Salesforce mobile app. You would that see sounds a, like a dream. <laughs> yeah, I liked it. It was pretty cool. I mean, it's still it's still going on. Yeah. Uh, and you would see the name. You would see the likelihood of uh, of making a major gift. You also saw kind of the gift amount, predicted gift amount, and then you could one with one click, you could request an assignment. So it would go to relationship management, and you could request wow. an assignment for the person. Then it also had some news about your portfolio. So we had crawlers every day going and um, still going, and it will search for those people if they appeared in news. So then you will see that on top of your uh, that uh, action center. And then we had some uh, up housekeeping kind of items. If you had not contacted somebody in X number of days, then it will show you that, hey, you have not contacted this person in 160 days. Do you wanna say a quick email? So it will give you a button, you click on it and you can send an email to that person. Same thing if somebody from your portfolio made a recent gift, then it will show that there that, hey, this person made a gift of $100 to this designation. Do you want to say a quick thank you? And then again, you will get an email button there and you could say, and then it also had some of your stats. So to just to show how much money you have raised so far, but that was just the bottom part of the whole app. Do you know if any of your peer schools have anything like this? I mean, this just sounds incredible. Some may have because some of these new companies and vendors, they offer similar services. And since we are part of uh, Ascend product, the Salesforce Ascend product by UC Innovation, I am thinking that people may be able to use this, but I'm not sure. I'm just so curious because I'm coming from the fundraiser's perspective. Do fundraisers come to you and say, oh my gosh, this person that you recommended it was exactly right. They had the high likelihood and they're going to give a gift. I mean, do you get anecdotes from the road? Yeah, I wish it was like that. Uh, we, <laughs> apart from that, we send out, uh, like I mentioned, the scholarship recipients, we send out lots of recommendations and said, okay, here are some people you should, but you know, I mean, it's fundraising is not some, someone doesn't decide to give a gift, make a gift just because they receive a nice email or just a nice touch point. Right. So it takes time. Uh, yeah, but we have heard that qualification, the response rates are better when you use something like the predictive scores rather than just going through all your alumni or all your prospects. The mm -hmm. scores help in effectively managing your time. It's really exciting. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I love working with research because I think it's so fun to 
connect the dots and say like this was true or this wasn't true or whatever just to I think that dialogue is really important um so that's why I wanted to ask yeah no I agree yeah I think it's uh, whenever you have the partnership is more helpful than just either saying well here are the scores they are the best you should use them or the other side well I don't trust your scores I don't trust whatever you're doing yeah, yeah, it doesn't go anywhere. It's more helpful if both parties are working together to improve overall yeah. organization's bottom line. So some of what we've been talking about so far really is artificial intelligence, you know, using tools to have names bubble up and letting the data help us. But broadly speaking, as we turn this conversation to talking more about artificial intelligence, how do you think it can help the industry further than it already has yeah one one thing that i have been thinking about for a long time which the answer may be that there is not a good solution that ai can help in terms of major giving because again as i said uh, even if you do something just because you like someone's tweet or like someone's facebook doesn't mean that they're going to give a major gift even if the machine learning models told you to do so so I'm skeptical that major giving can be changed because of AI, that somehow people are people will start making bigger and bigger gifts because we did something with AI, because again, it takes time and it's not a simple decision for anybody to make that type of a major gift. What I think though, just like you said, is automation, efficiency, improvement. Mm -hmm. For example, the grateful patient process that we used to do, you, it used to take about four to five weeks to get the file, to screen it, to, uh, to come up with small blurbs to send out to the gift officers. We automated the whole thing, although it's not AI, but everything is automated. The files come in, they, they go through, uh, the research team uploads their uh, blurbs into Salesforce and emails go out automatically every Monday morning. So the fundraisers who are responsible, they see it. Mm -hmm. So it reduces the time taken. So it reduces it. It opens up more time for people to do other things. Uh, so automation is definitely very helpful. A couple of things that I think we could do something differently with AI. One is the natural language processing or the generation, which machines are now so powerful that they 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 can create elegant text that is created by a machine. So they can write poems, they can write screenplays, they can even create other computer programs. So that, that's how AI has become so powerful. So I think that we could use, you, earlier you asked about proposal, proposal generation. I see a world where if we have all the data on our research, on our faculty and all our um, students, as well as the interests of our donors and prospects, I could see some of these things could be automated where the AI, the machine creates some sort of proposal. For example, let's say there's a faculty member who works in the medicine uh, research centers, and there's another faculty that works in engineering. They don't know each other, but somehow the machine figured out that their work is kind of similar. It is multidisciplinary, but they can solve this big problem. And there is a NSF grant out there, which they could apply. Now the machine will create a proposal and say, Dr. X and Dr. X can work together on this problem. And here's how, what the proposal would look like. So that could be one area we could think of and That's there's so potential there. And also even something more simple, like 
pulling lists of people who work at similar companies or industries or you know those are things that can take us a very long time because we have to go one by one through lists and that could be a way to streamline right right yeah all sorts of automation wherever we think that it's taking time or it's too manual certainly Mm -hmm. it can be automated and it's just becoming powerful and that's another actually another opportunity for anybody who is in advancement services just to upskill and uh, learn some of these things because yeah. again machines are becoming powerful so why not take advantage of that so i cringe when i ask you this but i feel like i just have to ask you do you think gift officers could be replaced with ai no the answer is uh unequally no because no, thank that's goodness <laughs> no because it takes so much i mean you are a fundraiser i'm not so you know much more about that ai's job is to only make it simpler and easier for whatever we are doing but no at least at this point of time it cannot build a relationship with someone and really find out what their interests are ask yeah. them those meaningful questions uncover uh, what their inclinations are and pair that with whatever the organization has to offer uh, or the needs are we are way we we have a lot of time before we get there yeah well of course i'm very glad to hear you say that but you're so passionate about your work and this part of the industry you wrote the book data science for fundraising what inspired you to do this, to take that extra step outside of your role and, and get the word out about how we can be thinking more innovatively, creatively, and outside of the box? Yeah, one thing that I just mentioned, the upskilling portion, I mean, there are some, some elements, like I mentioned, the natural language generation, which machines can create this automated text. And if you combine that with human power, resources that are available cheaply, in other countries, let's say India, Bangladesh, Pakistan, or Philippines, wherever it may be, if you combine those two things, then a lot of back office jobs could be outsourced and are done faster and cheap uh, and, and cheaply. So that presents us an opportunity to upskill and really add value to the organization. So that was the whole premise behind writing this book with Roger and uh, Roger Devine. And I wrote this book just to help everybody to mm -hmm. that data science doesn't have to be a mystery. It doesn't have to be uh, overly complicated. There are some things that, yes, of course, you have to learn and spend time with it. But that was the whole premise is to help everybody that you can learn. Uh, there is no barrier to entry. It's based on open source software. And we provide recipes on how to solve some of these problems that we discussed, portfolio optimization, predicting, giving scores, and so on and so forth. You know, I think this is something that comes up a lot in my current role. We really try to avoid manual, manual anything, you know, with research or lists, but it, it seems so often that we turn to the manual approach and it's exciting me to hear that there are probably things that we don't know about or things that we're not taking advantage of that could help basically remove that step. Right, right. Yeah, just a simple thing and a simple example would be how many times you get an email and they ask you, okay, are you available in these times or what is your availability for the next couple of weeks? Mm -hmm. Then you go to your calendar, you try to find out what are the free slots 
uh, obviously there are tools out there that help you do the scheduling. But if you were to write something for that, you just click a button and it shows you, just gives you a list and you send that out as an email and say, okay, here are some free slots I have for the next couple of weeks. It may save 10 minutes, but still. But they add up. Well, and of course, every company under the sun has automated. You know, in some ways, we're not a company, we're not corporate, we're working within institutions and, you know, we're not, we're not a sales team, but at the same token, why shouldn't fundraising be absolutely immersed in electronic assistance, in automation, and all of this? So I think it's very cool that you're leading this charge, and it sounds like it's working really well at USC, and it's just exciting. It's the tools that we have, right? We can mm-hmm. cut some wood with a hammer, not with a hammer, with an axe. <laughs> hammer would take a long time. <laughs> with an axe. Or you can use a, a saw or, or a power right. saw or a circular right. blade or whatever that may be. It will save you some time. So there are benefits of using modern technology. And if it's helping us become more efficient, why not? You're in the process of writing another book called SOAR. I looked at it online and the website and it looks very inspirational and it looks like it's geared towards building a meaningful career. When does it come out and where can we find it? Yes, it will be out a, either May or early June. So okay. right now I'm doing the first uh, round of edits and then it will go to the second round and then cover and everything. So it should be out May, end of May or early June. And it should be on Amazon and every other bookstore, online bookstore, not in physical bookstores, but at least online bookstores. And what's your hope for that project? What do you hope that people will get out of your book? Yeah, the hope behind uh, this new book is for anybody who is in knowledge economy who create their time to create value for the organizations is some of these things are hidden some of these things are apparent what you need to do to get ahead and to get acknowledged and uh, some some of those things are opportunities where how do how do we find opportunities how do we uh, make most of those opportunities so my hope is that with this book people will find tools and tips how to find those opportunities, how to get ahead. There's a framework that I'm providing for, again, people in the knowledge industry to to really shine and get to the next level and make most of their talents that they have. And you sort of said this, but can you define the knowledge industry a little more? Yes. So typically knowledge economy is where a good, good way of thinking of would be is creating knowledge. So they are creating something of value rather than creating, creating their time. So for example, in the industrial uh, revolution around that time, your productivity was limited to whatever you could produce at that time. So depending on the conveyor belts, depending on the assembly line, you could only pro- create 10 widgets in an hour or something. So you didn't have a whole lot of freedom. But now okay. within one hour, you can create... 20 hours worth of time with whatever you are creating, whatever you're producing for the organization with your specialized skill sets, which might be financial analysis or information gathering, report building. Uh, so that's, that's what I mean by knowledge economy. And that's so, I love that. And I don't, I don't think of my work in that way. So it's a very interesting paradigm shift. I'm going to be curious to check your book out. 
It sounds great. So you must enjoy management then if you're prioritizing helping people shine. Yes, I. that's one of the things that I really enjoy and I'm grateful for those opportunities is to be Good. able to mentor and coach and uh, help them out and see where they can grow and really get ahead. And it, it has helped in a lot of people. Again, this upscaling where you are focused on this area now, if you add some of these complementary skills, and I talk about those in the book also, sometimes you just add a few more things that you're currently doing and you suddenly become outstanding and people notice you. Hmm. Well, let's wrap with some signature questions. You really talked quite a bit about innovation in this episode in probably the most literal way than we've had in other episodes. Like you've literally created functions to improve the use of existing tools. So fill in the blank for us. Innovation is. Yeah, innovation. There are two innovation, I think. One small with a small I and one with a capital I. Small I innovation would be an individual taking effort to see things differently, modifying existing things and helping the organization or the company. The big I would be when the company itself is taking interest in everybody and saying everybody should do this, not only one person. So that requires a little bit of a philosophy and mindset change where they're encouraging everybody to be nimble and take risks and do things differently. And it sounds like USC did that by hiring you and really making all of this a commitment. Yeah, I don't know about hiring me if that was a <laughs> decision in that way, but I no, think definitely so. my, my manager and uh, the other senior leaders at that time made a decision that that's the direction they wanted to go. And USC is a pretty nimble entrepreneurial place. So we try to do a lot of things differently also a really good person to ask this because it sounds like you've had a lot of trial and error. What is advice about innovation that we should know and how should we be warned? Warned, yeah. I think the thing that we should know is there are so many things that are around us that we don't notice. So when you hear people saying, oh, I wish there was a different way of doing this or I would, oh, this is so bad, this doesn't work. That's an opportunity for us to solve that problem and somebody to take that initiative. And that obviously helps the organization, but it also helps the person because they are showing that initiative and creating the small I innovation there. Mm -hmm. A warning, I don't know if it's a warning as such, if your job is repetitive and if it can be automated, then it can be outsourced. That is a kind of a danger of automation. But if you are aware of all of those things, and if you're constantly upscaling and uh, changing and adding to your value that you're providing to your organization, then I think it frees up more time for us to do other things and really use our cognitive skills. Well, and I love this term that you keep using, upscaling. I mean, any we should all be asking ourselves that, you know, what, what, how are we upskilling this year? What are we, what's, what's the new thing that we're taking on to learn? I mean, we have so much education at our fingertips, a lot of which is free. Mm -hmm. So again, that's a mindset that I'd like to take on myself and I hope others will too. Last but not least, what do you know for sure? 
I think the change is constant. That's uh, it's not. I'm not saying this for the first time. Many other big philosophers have said that before me, but I think yes, that's for sure. I mean, we saw last couple of years what the pandemic has done. So nobody knew that remote work would be a possibility for so many nonprofits. But here we were within a couple of days that it happened. People made it happen. So yeah. we just need to be ready for change. And uh, one good way of being ready, uh, ready for change is to, again, what you just said is looking into the environment, seeing what's happening and uh, reading into it and being ready that this, these things are coming. So you will, you'll be ahead of you. It will not be a surprise to you. Thank you so much for joining us and telling us about your work. But thank you for joining us. No, thanks for having me. This was a great, uh, uh, great chatting with you and really good questions. I enjoyed my time. True partnership with research and digging into data is a critical component to our industry. I believe that fundraisers who make the data their friend are more successful in their work and better positioned to chart out strategy for their portfolios. I hope Ashu's ideas got you thinking. If you want to learn more, check out his website. I've listed it in the show notes, and he certainly has a lot more to share. Thank you for listening, and please follow along on Instagram and LinkedIn. Share the podcast with a friend who you think it might help. I'd love to hear from you and connect in whatever ways we can. Have a wonderful week.